0: Welcome back to another episode of Sales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living, and we are joined by someone you might remember. He used to be on the show all the time, but he's not been on... Well, I guess you were on that
1: that big group that we had down in Atlanta, but Mark Lampson back in the house. I refer to Will Smith in his song, Summertime. That's my answer. Summer, I know. Summertime.
0: I, this is typically summertime. the time where you disappear. Mm-hmm. Although that wrist of yours is probably not allowing you to uh, fish as much as you'd like. Drink right-handed? You have to drink left-handed now. Fine. Well, we're here today to talk about the role of emotions in buyer decision-making. But first, what is that cold, frosty, and refreshing beverage you have?
1: Candidly, it's a warming whaler's rise. Let's crack that. My favorite, uh, because we've been kind of like prepping for longer than we usually do. And my beer is a little warmer than usual, but I'm going to... Do I have to wait for you?
0: No, you don't have to wait for me. Please dig in there. I mean, I, I think everybody knows Whalers by now because we have it every week, but I have something different. I may have had this before on the show. It is a Harpoon Camp Wanamango, crisp and tropical, 5% alcohol by volume. It's a bottle, and it's cold and frosty, less cold than frosty. um, It's not really that frosty because it's not a draft. It's kind of melting all over the desk. It's not a draft. (laughs) If you can't tell, we're actually together in the same room, which is kind of fun. Sometimes we have to do these remotely, but uh, today we are uh, coming to you live from Narragansett, Rhode Island, and uh, I'm excited about this topic because... You're excited about every topic. You are. Well, I'm excited in general, so I think that's fair, Um, but this topic... When you think about any buying decision you've ever made, let's just say you're buying a car, you realize you're going to make an emotional decision on that and you're going to justify it with logic. And today we're going to explain that from some research we've been doing because we're always trying to stay sort of ahead of that and always researching. Uh, But what the research shows in terms of buyer behavior and making it personal, right? So so if you can get to that personal and emotional side of the brain, you can have a major impact on your client and you're much more likely to have success. So Mark, set us up. What's what's uh, what's the best way to attack this pretty big subject?
1: Well, let's talk about, you know, the universe we're referring to. When we talk about, you know, you said I make decisions, I make buying decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of us think about personal buying decisions. And and I know a lot of our audience probably sells B2C or business to consumer. Sure. So, I think that's probably more accepted in the, in the world of B 2 C sales, but what typically people don't refer to is the role that emotions play in decision making in B 2 B sales. Right. And and you're, you're making large purchases for a business, but yet personal emotions still have a lot of influence. And and to your to your point, don't take our word for it. I mean, we're don't shoot the messenger, as Tab would say. <laughs>
0: If Tab's listening, he just fell out of his chair. Yes,
1: you know you may or may not believe it uh, as a as a B two B seller, and you don't have to believe it. But there's a couple of things, and we do. We we constantly do research about the role in buying, buying psychology. How has COVID affected things? How is virtual affected things? <clears throat> and and we're and we we believe, and we still see the research that emotions play a big role in B two B sales, in all sales, and decision making. Uh, professor at Harvard uh, just published a report that said, that said people that have damage to their brain in the area of emotions have a 95% harder time making a decision than people who don't. So, so we know that emotions play a role in decision making. I think the question is, you know, uh, uh, not so much why, but what are we talking about? Well, you can read because Harvard also said, hey, how much research is being done on decision-making and emotions, the role that emotions play? Yeah. And uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But we have, you pulled the chart up. But yeah. but in you know, like 19... 19- you know, in 1970s, it was non-existent. Right, that's right. And then all of a sudden, in 90s, it kind of started to show up, and there were like 50 papers written in a year. Yeah, I don't know, 50 papers is a lot or a little, but it's more than zero. Yeah. But from from the from the 90s until the early two thousand the early 2010s, 2013 was the last year. Look at this. There was 475 published that's exactly papers. Right. Yeah, that. <laughs> talked about the role of emotions yeah. in decision making. Yeah. And so it's real. So and if
0: that many smart people are writing about this, then it's definitely a subject worth talking about for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think the 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 question is, well what do we mean by emotions? I mean and so emotional selling, people who think about fear, uh a lot of people have heard. Oh, there's there's a selling technique that floats around called FUD. Oh yeah. Remember what FUD is. I'll I put think you on the it's spot.
0: Uh, it's uh,
1: it's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Exactly right. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you. I'll give you a, a, as in, a sip. As Can a I have a sip? <laughs> <laughs> a sip? Yeah. I've a sip. Yeah. And so you know, we're not talking about how would this make you feel, and don't you want to look good in front of your boss? I'm not saying those things don't get said, and that's not part of it, but. We're not talking about a technique to, to manipulate emotions. We're right. talking about understanding that that's what's helping people make decisions. If you've listened to our other podcast, our role is to help people make the best decision for themselves. Yeah. But the emotional piece is is important. And in, and specifically in the B2B space, let's talk about another, and we should probably cite this study. The is in front of me. Let's go on to the bottom of it. Um,
0: oh, yeah. I got we it. We need to it. give
1: credit where credit's due. Yeah.
0: This is from... Uh... What is it, Hack?
1: You can, uh, you can find it and I'll, I'll talk to it. It, it. This is really interesting. Per, buyers, when, when, when asked, buyers end up saying that personal value, yeah. the personal value of the vendor product solution decision is two times as as important to them in their decision as the business, as the business value. value. Yeah. Even though I'm making a business decision. That's Where's, right. this, where's this from?
0: This is from Handlescraft.com. The, the article is called "Logic as If How Emotions Steer Purchase Decisions," okay. in a B2B environment. So it's it's a great article with a nice you know infographic, but it really does show uh, you know as a as a buyer that that personal side of the decision is two times more valuable than the business value that I'm going to get for that. And why is that? That's because every decision is personal, right? Because my name is on whatever I'm going to purchase, right? So I have to feel a personal connection and feel uh, an emotional connection, or I probably won't make that decision.
1: And you know, the same, so the same research, 71% of buyers who see personal value will buy that product. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, note to sellers, Focus on personal value. Yeah. Now that doesn't, well, we'll get to the how in a second. The last stat I think is, this is interesting in the world of negotiating. You know, we always talk about negotiating, Talked about like holding your value. Yeah. 68% of buyers who see personal value will pay higher price for the service. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... That's all of our. That's all of our statistics and convincing. We're not trying to convince you. We're just trying to share research. Yeah. So if you don't believe that's true in your business, well, I would hang up and have a beer, right? I would just just keep drinking your beer. Yeah. Stop listening. Uh, <laughs> but if you think this is true, and you're wondering if you are if you are you know selling that way, or what to do about it, then have another beer and keep listening yeah that's the only difference is you can still have another beer just whether you keep listening or so not.
0: we've established that you can keep drinking mm-hmm. it's whether you're listening or not that's okay yeah yep. okay
1: and, right. and but because the drinking would be personal value and i think the the listening would be emotion would be business value i yeah. mean to help okay. you with your, with your job i'm here.
0: yeah makes sense makes sense <clears throat> all right so so we've discussed the sort of what the 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 you know the importance of the personal connecting mm-hmm. to that emotional mm-hmm. side of any purchase decision, but specifically in a B2B environment is what we're talking about today. Let's move to the how.
1: Yeah, what do you do? Uh, It starts with understanding what's the emotion? What's the personal value? I think sellers rarely find it. I think good sellers ask, good sellers? Yeah, good sellers. Uh, above-average seller will yeah. come out and ask, like, what's your criteria? What's your purchasing criteria? Yeah. Uh, in our discovery roadmap, we call those decision drivers. Yeah. What are your decision drivers? But behind the scenes, we call them formal decision drivers, yeah. meaning that's what the person says. Uh, they have a sheet. They've met as a group. We have clients that have focus groups, and they tell us these are the things we're making decisions on. Sometimes they'll put them into a spreadsheet, have it's a matrix, like check boxes. Check boxes like this is what we're trying to, and, and it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It's all very logical, mm-hmm. and they're all very things about you know it's kind of the best ROI for our business and what's the line philosophically perfect. Great sellers or sellers who really understand the emotional piece get that there's informal decision drivers. Right. What I would not ask you to do on your next sales call or your discovery call is ask them what are your informal decision drivers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not sure they're going to know what you're asking. Because
1: they don't know. Yeah. They don't know, <laughs> yeah, they they don't don't know. know what they yeah. are themselves. Yeah. You know, they're not sure. I mean, I've seen people, um, you know, be connected to, they're enamored by the culture of the organization. They like, maybe they'll work there someday because it's, it's a it's a similar market. Uh, maybe they're connected to their social. I mean, if you watch Shark Tank, you know, there's yeah. a lot of companies that really have a social um what do I want to say? Uh, a social mission, mm-hmm. and they're connected to that. There's things yeah. beyond what the product and service does for the company. They the want price to just work that company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of um, emotional things that are out there, but I would say they're informal decision drivers. And so your first step is to figure those things out. How? You, you, you look at people's behavior. You talk about previous decisions. You ask people, who made this decision? You know, what was important to them? Because after they made the decision, sometimes they realize that part of that decision was emotional. They'll be able to articulate that. Well, I just like the way. I just seem like it was yeah. a good, good fit. Like it just, I like
0: the rep or I like the, there, yeah. There's certain
1: yeah. things. And so I know we're, we're, we're in a pretty fuzzy area, but there are things that are important to the person personally yeah. that are not going to show up on formal decision drivers. And if you don't understand those things, you're going to have a hard time connecting to those
0: well and if you as a human communicator and forget your role as a sales rep but more of a what trusted advisor consultant whatever term you want to use trying to help that person make a good decision good buying decision you focus more on those informal you know more personal type things that they might be getting out of a decision yeah i mean the old the old question and answer stuff that we learned in sales training 30 years ago what's your personal win in this whole thing mr customer right are you going to get promoted yeah. if this goes well
1: <laughs> little cheesy <laughs> little cheesy yeah no technique disingenuous yeah this is not a technique thing we don't teach techniques um it's not about some silver bullet it's about understanding what drives people um yeah. what there was a <clears throat> it, it's 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 uh, yeah just understanding there's a personal reason or an emotional reason that people are doing things so so two parts to selling, right? One is understanding, discovering needs. That's that. Then part two is building value and, yeah. and selling to those. So, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking beyond the features and benefits and the logical explanations you make. Yes, you have to explain what you do. It has to be simple. Show ROI. Yeah, we're not. We're not. I think this. Is, it's a good point. We're. We're not saying ignore that. Mm. That that's a that's a uh, some people would say table stakes. Like that's yeah. a requirement.
0: Yeah, your build value has to include your value proposition for sure. You've got to explain what you do.
1: You have to question. connect to what you learn. Yeah. yeah, you have to connect to the formal decision makers. Yeah. it's just that this is the tiebreaker. I mean, there's so many vendors competing for so little business. There's always competition. There's a lot of good vendors. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tight competition. These, this is this is what makes the, this is the tiebreaker. These yeah, are tiebreakers. Yep. That's a good point. Uh, we might you might have seen it in training or if you want to YouTube or just go to sh- just you can Google the shift principle. yeah uh, and you'll see Tom our CEO talk about the importance of emotions someone emotionally experiencing the payoff when we're asking them to make a change or a shift in behavior. And many times that's what we're asking them to do. We're asking someone to buy something from us, especially in the hunter world right in the new business world. Someone's doing something new. Someone's doing something different. Someone's leaving a vendor, coming to a new vendor, and that's a shift. And uh, gosh, there's uh, There's a number of examples. Oh. of that, right. I mean, when I think about
0: even, I think Tom touches on this in that video actually. That you know, ask anybody on the street, should you be, rece- mm. you know, what, how much you sh- should you be. Uh, saving for retirement. Yeah, and everybody will go. Yeah, I, I should definitely be doing it. But some percentage, you know, shows that 15% of people save at least ten thousand dollars. So why is it that everyone, 100% people believe they should save, and only 15% do save? Well, because they don't emotionally experience the payoff. They, it's impossible for a 20-year-old to mm-hmm. go. Well, I'll just keep working until I'm 80. Until you get to be 53 and go, Mm -hmm. I don't think I can work till I'm 80. I already have parts falling off the man. I mean, I'm I'm not going to make it to 80 and still be able to do what I do today. And so you can use a word picture or something to explain to them, have you really thought about what it's going to be like to work when you're 75 years old?
1: (laughs) It 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 is. That's the hard part, right? I mean, in real life... Uh, so the question is, when do people start saving for retirement? When they've retired, and then it's too late. That's right. You know, life insurance is another good example. Yeah. And and I'm a personal I'm a personal uh, not a victim, but I'm a I'm an example of this. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a financial guy. I'm kind of into finance, good financial decisions. A lot of people you ask, even life even non life insurance people. Term life insurance is a pretty good investment. It's yep. ridiculously cheap. Yep. For, for a few bucks a month, you can get $500,000 of life insurance. So for a few cups of coffee a month, mm-hmm. you have a half a million dollars. And it's kind of the insurance, like most insurance, you kind of don't want to use. I would say I definitely don't want to yeah. use. Yeah. Well, actually, you won't be using it. <laughs> That's true. Your wife will. I, I
0: probably wouldn't know the difference anyway. No. So why am I buying it again? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but, like, it was on my list for forever. Mm-hmm. Financial planner sat down. I'm in my late 20s. Yeah. I'm 30. Uh, that's young, by the way, just so we're clear. That's it. But that's very young now. But it's old. Yeah. And you're moving through and you're getting your plan together. You're starting to do things. You're starting to save for retirement. Uh, I did save for retirement, but... Uh, I didn't, it's like, yeah, you should have a life insurance policy. Yeah, I know I should. And it did the math and makes sense. But, but what? But uh, it's just nothing.
0: I don't want to go take the physical.
1: Until what? 90, I read somewhere, 93% of people buy life insurance within one year of the birth of their first child. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm flying around in airplanes and it's me and my wife and I'm invincible and everything's good. And it's like, who cares? I mean, like, nobody really cares about me. All of a sudden, you have this little thing, this little mouth, and you're like, oh, my God, you're going to be around a lot longer than I am, hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and if I die now, like, you and mom are all jammed up. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. And so for $62.83 a month, I know, it's a crazy investment. You know, I did something that says, yeah, that's I don't want that to happen, but if it does. So I emotionally, I saw my son, and I thought about life. His yeah. life and my wife's life without, without me, you. the income, the income person, yeah. and so I emotionally experience that. Yeah. So that's the so the, so so part two is well, how do you people to emotionally experience the payoff? To emotionally experience the pain, the problem, the positive, the negative. We're not really saying whether you make it positive, or you make it negative. They just emotionally get it is what you're yeah what you're selling. You gotta move them from the logical side of the brain
0: to the emotional side of the brain and just make that shift.
1: So, I mean those those are what that's what those are the things that are kind of activated. So we talk about so so what have we talked about? We've talked about learn informal decision drivers, watch their behavior, ask about previous decisions, figure out beyond the formal decision drivers what they care about. Two is when you're selling, when you're building value. After you make the logical argument and you talk about your value proposition and how you connect to the drivers, make sure you're doing something that connects to them emotionally to experience the payoff, to, to attach to their informal decision drivers. And there's two things. As we wrap up here, there's really two things that are important. One, there are two tools, I would say. The two best ways we find uh, to, use, to, to appeal to emotions is stories and what we would call word pictures or an analogy. And word pictures are sometimes are just word pictures. You can say them over the phone. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as we move to a virtual world and we're doing more presentations online, and it's more accepted, you can you, know, you can do these things in a presentation. But people like stories. Yeah. I mean, there's actually companies that that talk about telling stories to sell. Yeah. Good stories. I mean, yeah. you know, stories can't have a. Um, uh, Stories have to have a structure. Now, yeah. we don't. This is not a story writing class, but I did. I read somewhere and think about this. That stories. I'm going to really put myself on the.
0: Are you on the hot seat? I'm on the hot seat yeah.
1: here. Uh, but it was. There's four things that make a story. There's there's a character or characters, but a story is about a person. Yeah. It's not a thing. It's a person. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's you. Maybe hero. it's someone else. Yeah. yeah that's a, you've heard that story yeah. brand does that. Then there's a there's a there's a plot. There's something going on. There's a setup. Then there's conflict. Which yep. is like, oh man, something's really like, I mean, messed up yeah. or whatever. I mean, you know, sitcoms. Like in a rom
0: com, they break up for a yeah, little while. Yeah, like, and like it, even like
1: sitcoms. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had recently had wrist surgery. I'm like kind of not out a lot. I'm watching a lot of friends' episodes. Like, yeah. even, even friends have like conflict. They have this like, and then there's resolve. Yeah. So it's character, I think I got that right. Character, plot, conflict, resolve is a way to tell stories. I don't know if you need to script all that out, but as you tell the story, you set that up. Hey, this is, and so you're telling stories most likely about other clients, success yes. stories. We had this client, we, This is and, and give details when you tell stories. Now, you might not say the name of the client, but you can say when, yeah. you can say where, you can say, you know, first names. Um, when you tell generic stories, it kind of tends to mean that it's kind of a, fibber story yeah it's kind of like yeah. a bedtime you, did story did you
0: make that up or is that real yeah yeah I it's a
1: high it's a hiring practice we, we learned that a long time ago at apc if yeah. you remember when someone's telling you a story with no details ask for a detail i asked <laughs> a guy was telling me a story one time about his senior project and how blah, blah blah but it was real generic i didn't really know what he did or who he worked with so i just asked a simple question how many people were on your team yeah and he said i mean he referred to the team Fifteen times in the course yeah. of his story, and I said, "How many people are on your team?" He's like, uh, he, "He couldn't answer because he he was making it up. He was making it up, and he didn't know whether to say two or twenty, or just and he just kind of like went around circles. So let's be clear: tell true stories, yeah, and so that and <laughs> yes. so that they know yeah. it's true. Give specifics yeah. where you can.
0: Well, uh, and to make them relevant, I think you just said t- t- talk about other clients of yours. But if you talk about even People Personal. from their industry, or, or 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 maybe competitors of theirs, mm-hmm. that would that would have impact, or even people that are just in the same geography as them, some connection
1: to them. It's a connect- It's got. You're, you're. It's it's connecting. It's connecting to the emotion that's yeah. driving the decision. So so I'll, I'll tell you a story.
0: Okay, let's hear uh, it.
1: This is a client uh, several years ago, and we were training, and we were talking about stories, telling yeah. stories. And uh, we did training, we did coaching, we went back, we came back, and we did some reinforcement and said, any any, any you know, any success doing this? And a woman raised her hand. And again, without too many details here, she was in the medical Why? field. Why? Because you're making it up? Nope. <laughs> uh, How many re- people were on the team? Well, go show. It was probably 20 people <laughs> in the room. I'm not going to say where, what town it was, <laughs> uh, but it's a client, and I think they're on our website. Okay. Anyway, long story short is... A uh, great sales rep who had been trying to get into a very large hospital for a long time, and and she was selling to the chief medical officer to change the way that they did cancer treatment and used their cancer drugs and whatever. It just it's just you know mm-hmm. trying to do something, and everything was yeah we agree was kind of a stall was kind of a stall because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of change. it's the shift principle. You you were asking the hospital slash the chief medical officer to make a decision that required an enormous shift in behavior and change and work and all those things, and she. While she believed it was probably good, it just wasn't enough to push her over the edge. So we had this training, and a couple weeks later, she was in that hospital. The rep was in the hospital, and she just said, and her motive was pure. She said, I just felt compelled to share a cancer story about my mom. Oh, wow. And she said, I just felt comfortable with this lady I've been talking to. And so I just, can I tell you a story about the impact of cancer treatment, the right cancer treatment for people? And she told a story about her mom who almost died because of this hospital, blah, 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 and turned her life around. And she's alive. And she had a picture and said, like, so whatever that hospital was doing, yeah, I want you to do the same thing. The chief medical officer started crying yeah. in the office, as you can imagine. Yeah. And she said, I'm 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 embarrassed. Yeah. For not making this decision, she said I'm a cancer survivor. Yeah. And she says I I, I forget what's involved. And she said we're going to make this damn decision right now. And I'm sorry it's taking me so long. Yeah. And so it was a multi million dollar decision. Hear me, folks. I hope this comes across right because my motive is pure. Don't go tell cancer survivor stories to people to get them to do things. What we're pointing to is, and that's an extreme example. What we're pointing to is. People need help making changes. And yeah. people need help, need some need a kick and need a kick in the rear end. And it's not a kick in the rear end, but it's their emotions. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. If your motive is pure and you're and you're trying to help, that's okay. So that's a story and that's an extreme story. Success stories, where you work with other clients, those yeah. are all good.
0: Any uh, way you can you can get them thinking and by the way, your story might start and they might chime who in knows? and you might if you can get into a dialogue to the emotional side of their brain, it's it's a positive move for you. In the right direction. So,
1: having some stories are good. The, yep. the, the part two, as we wrap up, is uh, instead of story, a word picture. Yep. Word picture is a fancy word for just an analogy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're selling things that are uh, like a little complicated or you know, people don't really understand what that really means. And so, it's another way to kind of appealing to, I mean, uh, your, your, I forget, left and right brain, but the side of your brain that's emotional is also about imagery and pictures that's and right. seeing things. So yeah. when we see a chart with a bunch of numbers and this and that, it's kind of logical, mm-hmm. but making it come alive and appealing to people's emotions is effective, and word pictures can do that. Now, word pictures are not something you come up with on the fly. They're things you think right. about. Uh, lots of examples, but but I, I like to refer to an example uh, that, again, you can look up on the internet, but there was, a uh, in the 90s, the U.S. government waged a major campaign against movie popcorn, specifically movie popcorn that was popped in coconut oil because coconut oil, a medium... So back then, the uh, the setup is back then the... the, the uh, I don't know, back then, back now, I have no idea, but the, the, the daily suggested allowance for saturated fat That's was 20 right. grams. 20 grams. Something like yeah. that. I'm going to mess this up, but I know the numbers are right. I just don't know the exact, what I'm talking about. Uh... A medium popcorn was 37 grams. So it's two Which days worth. more than 20. And by the way, you're, you're eating, you know, you're <laughs> two probably... Two days
0: worth of saturated fat in a bucket.
1: And oh. so they put this, all this advertising yeah. around, it's 37 grams of saturated fat. And you shouldn't eat it and saturated fat is bad. And the USDA recommends 20 grams. And they spent millions and millions of dollars and put all this stuff out and nothing happened. Nothing changed. People just ate a ton of popcorn.
0: That was me. So
1: they... <laughs> They hired a firm, they came back and they came up with a different campaign. Yeah. And all it, it, it said was eating a bucket of popcorn and again, we got the exact math wrong, but eating a bucket of popcorn is the same as having three fried eggs, two Big Macs, and like a you know, sixteen ounce ribeye. Yeah. Yeah. That's how much saturated fat is in a Which bucket. Which would you rather have in a, a day? bucket of popcorn? <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 over six months. Movie popcorn sales—they weren't against the popcorn. Yeah. They were against the popcorn. And, Change the way you cook it and and in coconut pop oil. It in. Yeah. It went down. They went down fifty percent. Fifty percent decline in sorry movies, but movie popcorn sales. Yeah. Uh, because of a word picture, and that's all it was was a word mm-hmm. picture. So you have Effective, word though. pictures for yeah. your product services to help them come to life. So that's what I had to do. Know the informal decision drivers. Give stories. Chef principle says you got to experience the payoff. And the best way to experience the emotional payoff is stories, or work pictures.
0: Well, and the bottom line is that, you know, for any big decision, and really many decisions in general, people will not, you know, change their behavior if they don't emotionally experience the payoff. So you've got to get your buyers, and by the way, anybody you're trying to influence, they've got to use the emotional side of their brain if they're going to make a change of behavior or they're going to receive your recommendation to do something different. So uh, anything else before we leave this crew to their beers and their
1: next sales calls no i think we've probably gone just a tad long so and hope they enjoyed it i hope it was helpful
0: i think it's helpful it always is helpful we love having you guys listen make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast get it out to as many people as you can this is for you and we will uh continue to pump these out and we'll see you in another week on sales with aslan